This podcast is a part of CGN Media, a podcast network that points to Christ. We are supported by listeners like you. To help us create more great shows, visit cgnmedia.org support. Hey, we wanted to share some recent content with you from our 2022 When She Leads conference, where our theme was Breaking New Ground, taken from Hosea 10:12. Here is one of our breakout sessions. All righty, you guys ready? So this is going to be more classroom style. Um, you're getting a handout because when I go to a breakout session, like I need stuff to take home. I want to be able to have something to take home that I can look over, that whatever they've taught me, because workshops are generally very practical. And so we want that information. You can't write that fast, right? So one thing I did, so if you miss something, instead of saying I missed that fill in the blank or whatever, I have put a sample out here. So if you um, aren't the don't want to fill in the blank and you just want to take some notes, you can come up after and take a picture of the pages that are fill in the blank, or you can come up and get like the ones that you miss, like she's talking too fast, I don't know what she's saying. Um, You can then come up later and get that. So um, that is for you. So let's pray, and I want to jump right in because I really want to have some time for Q&A afterwards. Father, thank you. Thank you for these ladies who lead leaders who are looking to um, just develop themselves into how can we develop, how can we train, how can we propagate leadership. And so, Lord, would you just be with us in this class by the power of your Holy Spirit and make application into our lives, give us practical suggestions. Um, Lord, help us to be good leaders, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. How many of you train or you're a leader of leaders? Is it the majority of you? Okay, great. Um, so this will be a fill in the blank once you get your, um, your hand out there. And I will try to warn you when there's a fill in the blank because sometimes I'll talk for a while and you're like, where is she at? I don't know. Um, to propagate leadership, to develop leaders, propagate literally means to increase or to breed by reproduction, to cause to spread out and affect a greater number or a greater area to extend. And I can't think of anything better in leadership than to think about like the extension. The more I delegate, the more I give away, the more that I can train people and be equip them. Now it's one thing just to fill holes. It's an entirely different thing to train someone how to minister to somebody else. And once we can do that, we can spread the ministry far and wide. And that is what we want to do. Some of the synonyms for that are grow, cultivate, generate, pass on. And so you propagate um, a plant, right, by cutting it and taking pieces and dividing that plant to make more. And leadership is the same way. So in the same way as leaders, we want to delegate and divide the work. Because here's the thing. People aren't coming into the church to serve so that they can put their name in a position. They're coming also to be discipled. And so we, when we have servants, they're here to be disciples. So if someone comes to me and says, I really feel like the Lord is, is wanting me to use my gift, then we need to help them understand a way that they can use their gift and use it wisely and be a good steward of what the Lord has given us. So never forget that, because sometimes I think we think, well, we're the servants and they're the people. But no, those servants are disciples and they need to be taught. Leadership is not about you becoming great. It's about inspiring the God-given potential in others to become great as well. We have a saying, another saying in our church, we never say no. If someone comes to us and says, 
hey, can I help you that? Whatever I'm doing, if I can give it away, I will try and give it away. We use another principle. It was, we learned it um, through Craig Rochelle and his leadership podcast that if there's someone that can do something 80% as good as I can do it, I'm giving it away. Because there's some things that God wants me to do that very few can do. And then I can concentrate on that. So I'm constantly trying to give away things that like, hey, if you can do this, even 60 to 80%, but you've got potential to grow in that, then we're going to try and give that away. Now, is it possible to produce leaders? We all grew up in that phase of like, I'll do it, you watch, you do it, I'll watch. But is there a better approach? Is there a better approach than just showing someone? Because we can show them all day long, but they don't know the why behind what we're thinking. They don't know like what we're doing, what, what's our thought process before that. So I was at Nordstrom's Rack a couple years ago, and I found this lip gloss. You know the eye candy rose that like right before you go to the register, the right at eye level, and this lip gloss was just like sticking out to me. I had to have it. And it was so cute because it was color on one side and then it was like clear shiny on the other, like a roll-on. And so I took that lip gloss and I'm putting it on and then I would take the roller and I was so pleased with the way that it was looking and it was just shiny. And, and then, but I kept smelling something. And so one day I, I unraveled it and I looked and I realized like, that's perfume. That's not shiny lip gloss at all. Like, I had been spreading perfume on my lips for like two weeks. Like, just thinking like, I know how this works. Like, you know, but leadership is like that, that we have something good in our hands. I just used it ineffectively. Should have been putting it behind my ears, not on my lips. I probably still smelled good, but... Um, which is weird because I'm allergic to perfume. And so you think I would have picked up on that a little sooner. Might have been a scent that I could actually handle. But we want to have each member in the body that has been given a spiritual gift that they use them properly to minister to God's body. So how do we recognize? How do we train? And how do we establish servants and leaders appropriately? Matthew 24, 45, and 46 is our key verse for this study. It's, who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all goods. Jesus is describing this, the parable of these two servants. One is faithful, one is evil. We are to be faithful and wise servants while the master is away and carrying on his business. We're supposed to be working diligently, it says. And so when he comes, that he finds us doing. We don't know when the Lord's going to come. He says he's going to come like a thief in the night. We'll know that maybe the season, but we won't know when he comes. I want him to find me doing I want him to find me doing. My husband always says that, you know, when you get saved and you go to heaven, you know, justification and glorification, what's in the middle? Like sometimes 60 years of sanctification, what are we doing? If we weren't made to work here and to, to propagate his gospel, he would just take us up to heaven, but we have work to do. So it's been said that the most dangerous lie is not that there is no God, there is no hell, but the most dangerous lie is Satan saying there is no hurry. But you know what? We need to hurry to be able to bless the women and to be able to serve them or the men or the children, wherever it is that you serve. To me, training's a little bit like driver's training. 
kind of teaching someone to drive a car, a lot of times in leadership, we'll say like, give them the wheel and try to keep them out of the ditch. <laughs> Just sometimes you can't learn unless you get behind the wheel, but there's process that we can take before that. There's like requirements and testing. The student phase is where they're reading stuff. Maybe you've produced a manual or maybe, and I'll just tell you, when we did women's ministry, I just took manuals from several different churches and then I made myself a super manual. <laughs> it's like, I just took, it's already invented. Why reinvent the wheel? Just grab stuff like smarter people than me already made and then put it together for your women to train. And, and it's the same way with, so that student phase is them reading, them learning, them growing in the word of God. Um, it's like the book stuff. Then there's the behind the wheel phase where it's like there's some hands-on training involved. And then there's that licensing phase where they're being tested, you know, in the, of, for what they've learned. And, but if you think about licensing, what happens, there's like some restrictions, right? When someone first gets um, their license, why? So you don't harm others. You know what I mean? There's like, okay, we're, we're training them, we're putting them into this position, but then we're kind of watching and maybe there's some, some restrictions that are placed there so that they don't harm other people until they get the experience. Blackaby in Spiritual Leadership says, all organizations have potential for growth and success, but the key is effective leadership. And it always stands or falls on that leadership, doesn't it? You've probably been in churches where there's good leadership, and you've probably been in churches where there's bad leadership, and we need to be effective leaders. Turn to Romans 12, if you have your Bibles. We're going to take a look at verses 1 through 18. Now, you all know the big idea of Romans 12 is just to be a living sacrifice. And I want to look at three components of living, being a living sacrifice. One is the call, and it's in your outline. Um, the call, the contribution, and the characteristics. So first, we're going to take the first component of living sacrificially is the call. Look at verses 1 through 3. He says, I beseech you, therefore, and you can underline that word beseech. I beseech you, therefore, brethren by the mercies of God, that you present, underline present, your bodies as a living sacrifice, underline living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, underline that word. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For I say, verse three, through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought, Underline that, more highly than he ought. To think, but um, think soberly, underline soberly, as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. So observations, we want to recognize the call in others. So we want to observe people. I don't want someone to come to me and say, I would like to be in leadership or I would like that position. I want to see their gift of leadership in action. I've had people come to me and say, um, would you consider me for leadership? And it's like, well, the first thing is, is you probably should attend things, <laughs> right? You need to show up and just pick up the trash and, and help with the ladies and serve them a cup of coffee. Like whatever you can do, if you really have a heart for people and you really want to lead people, you're going to be there. You're, you're going to want to be around them. And so I look for that. And I'll be honest, if people ask me that question, don't say, well, I don't know. Teach them. You know what? You need to show up. You need to be with the women or you need to be with the children, whatever it is. 
So that word beseech that I had you underline, it's to call. It's uh, invite to come alongside. And then I love the present yourself because that's a response to the call. I, I'm making a response to this call to place a person or thing at one's disposal, to bring near, to be at hand. That's the attendance part, right? So if you're going to be feel called, then you need to respond to the call by being present, by being there, being standing ready. That word means to present yourself, to stand ready. You need to stand ready to serve because what's going to happen? There's going to be something that needs to happen. And if you're standing there, I'm going to go, hey, can you do this? Can you help me with this? You're just ready. That's what we want to be observing in potential leaders. And so that word living sacrifice, it means you're alive, but you've offered yourself to be at God's disposal. This is a great little section when people say, I really want to be in leadership. Take them through this. This would be their first training class. Take them through this section of scripture. A living sacrifice. You're alive, but you've offered yourself to be at God's disposal, a victim, holy, acceptable. We are alive, but we are offered up as dead. That it's not me who's serving. I'm here to serve Christ, and I'm dead. Uh, reasonable service. This is the why of the calling for all that God's done for us. That's our reasonable service for what he has done for me, that we are to think soberly. This is, uh, this is great for anybody that is struggling with pride, not to think more highly of ourselves. A leader is humble. I loved the definition that it says, not intoxicated with themselves that we would not be intoxicated with ourselves, not to be arrogant, but to be sober-minded. That means sound mind, proper, marked as serious. The, the work that we do in the church, it's serious work. So as leaders of leaders, we need to A, fill in the blank, identify leadership readiness. We need to be able to identify it. This, this um, takes discernment. It takes, and you know what? God will just put things on my heart. I, I'm, I have a teaching team here, and it's a fantastic teaching team. There's about six of us on the team, and every single one of them can teach. It's fantastic. But I'm always looking for girls who have that gifting, and God will just speak quietly in my ear. There was someone in our, she's a young girl, she was answering a question the other day in our Bible, we get together as leaders, we go over the Bible study together before we go into our groups, and she answered a question, and I just had that thought. She's a teacher. I just know it. And so it's things like that where you're identifying, like, okay, what are they doing? This person is so friendly. They would be a good greeter. This person is... Be, be mindful and be identifying leadership readiness. Everyone is called to be a living sacrifice, but not everybody responds to that call. So a potential leader, things that they must be. They must live a sacrificial life. Now, there's a difference. I just want to make a side note. There's a difference between people serving in the body and people leading in the body. There's a big difference. There are lots of people, and I want to see people serve before they lead. I want to see what kind of servant they are. Live sacrificial lives. Live, live for the needs of others, and you see that in their, in their family, their church, their community. Um, they need to be mature in three areas. Number two on your fill-in-the-blank, doctrine service, and character. A lot of times we just look for talent, but that's not where it's at. There are very talented people who are very shallow in the Lord. You do not want them on your stage. You don't want them leading your groups. They need to be mature. This is from Martha Peace's book, um, 
becoming a Titus II woman, doctrine. They must know or have a good understanding and study God's word. In service, they're already serving others. You don't give someone the title of leader unless they're expected to serve. And then character, and this is where it throws a lot of people. Sometimes God protects your sheep because of lack of character. And so that lack of character shows up. So if I say to somebody, oh, I feel like God's putting something on my heart, but he's not opening the doors. I will tell them, check these three things. How's your doctrine? How are you doing in service to him? And what's your character? You can improve those three things and God will start opening these doors. Martha P. says, if someone is weak in one of these areas, often a person will ask, why isn't God using me where I'm gifted? Perhaps he might be protecting his body from immaturity of doctrine or maybe a lack of character. They're led by the Holy Spirit. Number three, Acts 6, 3 says, Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, who may be appointed to oversee this business. Now, we know that if you're thinking about the word deacon, that this is uh, meaning like they must be first tested. It's foolish to elevate someone to a leadership position without evaluation. And so in 1 Timothy, it gives us a good description of the qualities to look for. And these are qualities of a a deacon, but we can take that because we know that deacon means servant, right? So it says in the same way deacons, one who serves, must be well-respected and have integrity. They must not be heavy drinkers. They must not be dishonest with money. They must be committed to the mystery of faith, now revealed, and must live with a clear conscience before they are appointed as deacons. Let them be closely examined. That's tested. If you pass the test, then let them serve as deacons in the same way their wives or women must be respected, must not be slanderers of others. They must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. Now, at this point, you might be going, well, who can qualify for leadership, <laughs> right? But their general character doesn't mean they're perfect, and it doesn't mean they're this high. God used flawed vessels. He does. And half the time when I'm serving is when he's rebuking me the most and, and dealing with my character. And so this is, a, this is our guideline, but we're, we're dealing with imperfect people and they must exercise self-control and be faithful in everything they do. So one who evaluates themselves. Titus 2 says the similar thing. Similarly, teach the older women to live in the way that honors God. They must not slander. They must not be heavy drinkers. So it's kind of the same qualities as a deacon. So we've talked about the call, but let's talk about potential leaders' readiness. And now we want to talk about the second component for living sacrificially, which is the contribution. And we'll look at verses 4 through 8. It says... For as num- verse four, for as many have uh, many members, for as we have many members, underline many members in one body, but all of the members do not have the same function. Underline that. They don't have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing, underline that, gifts differing, according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. Underline, let us use them. If prophecy... Let us prophesy to the portion of our faith or ministry. Let us use it in ministry. In ministering, who he teaches in teaching, who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, he who leads with diligence, underline that, he who leads with diligence, he who sows mercy with cheerfulness. Now, a lot of times we don't think leadership as a spiritual gift. Leadership is a spiritual gift given from God. 
And so we need to be able to identify that. So identifying spiritual gifts, one body, many members, we have different gifts, we're to use them. What are some ways that we can identify gifts? One of the ways is um, we have spiritual gifts testing. Now this isn't a, how many times you've taken it, it's like it's changed over 10 years because God's done something different. So it's not an end all like, well, I can't do that. He hasn't given to me. I always say that about mercy. It's like, mm, not mercy. <laughs> not my gift. Somebody else gets to do that. And then he calls you to be merciful, right? So these online assessments are good just to give us, you know, some uh, guidelines. Observe, what are they naturally gifted in? Conversation. Hey, how's God speaking to you? When, I, when God puts somebody on my heart, I'll just say, what's God been doing lately? How's he been speaking to you? And see if what God's been speaking is lining up with what I think God might be doing in their lives. Prayer, prayer, prayer. And then a few tips. Um, sometimes we get uh, leadership, leaders on the, on the leadership bus, so to speak, and because we, we see their potential and we're like, I think that person would be a good leader. And now in a church our size, I can't know every leader. So I have to teach my leaders to be able to do this as well because I can't be the eyes for everybody. There's people that I just don't know. There's people on our leadership team that I don't know and I can't know that. So I have to train my leaders to be able to do that. But sometimes we put people in the wrong seat and it's, they have potential, but they're just not in the right place. And so we've trained our leaders that we're gonna put you where we think you're most effective. So nobody gets to put their circle around what they do because what we've trained them in is we're here to minister to the body and the best the way that we can do that might cause you to change positions. So I have a girl doing events. I had a girl leading Bible studies. This year, I switched them. I'm like, I want you to lead events. I want you to do Bible studies. And they've been trained well in that way. So you know what they'll say? I'll do whatever God wants. And they'll do it because that it's, we're not here for us. We're not here like, this is my position. I'm putting my stamp on it. It's not like that. It's wherever God wants us. I have learned, and I don't, you guys tell me if you, if you think this is true, but I have learned there's predominantly two types of people. There's those that are producers. I can give vision. Chris is one of them. I can give vision. I can give direction. I can kind of like say, this is sort of how it looks and they can make it happen. Then there are managers. I've got to give them the box that's filled with all the things. This is the way we're running it. Here's the cards. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the schedule. They can manage it, but if you tell them to produce something, they're going to look at you with the eyes this big, and you're going to get a million texts, and you're going to have to help them every step of the way through it. Identify that in people, who's a producer and who's a manager. Then you have big plate people, you know, they can handle Kelly, good Lord. She can handle so much. And then you have small plate people that it's like, if you go off that plate, you tip the scale and they're out the door because they, they only can do this much. We need to identify that. So the purpose of the gifts, I told you about this um, book, Discovering Your God-Given Gifts. And I wanted to share with you because he has a category. He has three purposes or categories of the gifts. In verse 16, um, it says, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. Don't you love watching the body of Christ? Everybody doing their part, and you're just like, man, I could never do that. Um, I could never do that. And look at how God's using them. It's so beautiful. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow 
so that the whole body is healthy and growing. We want healthy churches that are full of love. So he breaks down the spiritual gifts. You've heard of lots of people break them down different ways, but I loved the way, and it finally like clicked a light bulb moment for me in spiritual gifts. And he, um, in that book, they, they break it down like this, manifestation, ministry, and motivational gifts. So manifestation gifts are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. The word there for gifting, and I'll butcher it, I need uh, Justin Alfred here, phanerosis, it's an exhibition, expression, or manifestation. This is where you're in counseling, and the Holy Spirit comes on to you and gives you a word of knowledge. You can't just go around giving words of knowledge because you think you're talented. It's a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit's manifesting through you for that given time, maybe sharing the gospel. Uh, maybe there's, there's gifts of words of wisdom, knowledge, faith, healings, miracles, discerning of spirits, tongues. These are things that the Holy Spirit manifests through you for that particular time. These are the manifestation gifts, and that's what that word means. In ministry gifts in Ephesians 4, these are the, the gifts that, um, that we... Uh, in verse 8, that the gifts, it's the word domo, that's a different type of gift. It says, like giving a present. It's people that God gives. And who are these people? These people are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. God gives the church these people to manifest his spirit through Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Now, these gifts, these are gifts, presents, Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. And then there's this third uh, way that gift is explained. It's the motivational gifts. We find these in Romans 12. This gift is, the name is charisma. These are gifts to be used to benefit the body of Christ. These are like prophecy, server, teacher, exhorter, giver, administrator, mercy, the list goes on. These are the, the, they were being equipped and now these are the gifts we use in the body. What a fascinating study, right? Just the different gifts and, and what those words mean. So we present our bodies a living sacrifice. The third component of living sacrificially is the characteristics. Look at verses nine through 18. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, in honor giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints and given to hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and not curse. Rejoice with those who are rejoicing and weep with those who weep. By uh, be of the same mind toward one another. Do not set your mind on high things, but associate with the humble. When you have people coming into your congregation, you want your leaders to associate with the humble, meaning there are people that come into our churches, they don't look like us, they don't act like us. Maybe they're down and out. Maybe, they're, maybe they look like, oh my gosh, you know, she dresses so nice, like I can't approach her. You know what I mean? We're to approach people with the same, we're all on the same level, the foot of the cross. And we need to treat people in that way. What will the attitudes of someone using their gifts within the body look like? These are some characteristics of a leader. They won't pretend to love others. They really will sincerely. 
They'll hate what is wrong. They'll hold tightly to what is good. They're kind. They take delight in honoring others. They do not always have to be the top dog or in the spotlight. They're not lazy, but they work hard with a great attitude. Don't you notice that if a servant in your church or a leader has a bad attitude, it ruins the entire body. It just permeates. They rejoice in our living hope. They're patient through troubles. They're given to prayer. When there's a need, they're always willing to help. They practice hospitality. They handle conflict well and don't retaliate when wrong. They share with others joys and sorrows. They are peacemakers and unity keepers. They are not uh, know-it-alls. They love the unlovely and the lowly. They are good examples, not um, not taking revenge, and they live in peace, not chaos. When we have leaders that are chaotic, it's like, It doesn't give a lot of hope to people. So five ways to spot a leader. One, when I'm transferring, so we talk about propagating. When I'm transferring leadership over, and maybe it's like, let's take Bible study. I want someone to come in and lead Bible study. There are a few things that I look for. And I will just tell you, for a top leader, it takes about three years to train somebody. Because, you know, the first year I'm, I'm showing them how to do it. The second year they're doing it, but they need a lot of help. And the third year they, they can pretty much do it on their own. Do you know when I know it's time to transfer the leadership over? When God starts giving them vision instead of me. When I start seeing them say, well, can we do this? Well, I was thinking this. What do you think if the Bible study did this? I'm like, oh, thank you, Lord. <laughs> uh, and then I transfer it. I'm like, look, God's giving you vision, not me anymore. And so you are now the leader. But five ways that they, they have vision and they can communicate clearly that vision to their followers, their passion, their decision makers, their team builders. They're concerned with unity. They're submissive to their leadership. And most importantly, they have a good character And so you can see all the lists there. So let's switch gears and talk about some practical how-tos. In the student phase, number one, and you're filling the blank, um, I love teaching in groups because I think the more women I can train at once, the better. And so I take a lot of opportunities to train. If we're doing a meeting, I'll spend the first... You don't have to have a big training seminar once a year for seven weeks that trains everybody. You can do that, and it's great. But I found that I can train as we go. We have a meeting, I'll spend the first five minutes just in training. And you go, well, what's training? Anything, take a, take a chapter or a thought out of one of the books we've recommended and just go over a principle. But you can constantly get them. Once a year, I have what's called an all-hands training, and I get everybody that serves in women's ministry, and we have a meeting, and I'll go through a passage. I can't tell you how that helps. Just get everybody on the same page for the year. It just works beautifully. I get them ready for a servant's heart. Before a retreat, I might do an all-hands training and we go through the word because I want them, their hearts prepared to go to minister to the women. And um, so you might be thinking, I don't know, where do I start by training leaders? You can create curriculum or like I said, use someone else. You can teach philosophy of ministry. You know, culture of your church, um, Nick Cady said it best at at a CGN conference we were at. He said, it's the simply explained, it's the way we do things around here. You have a way that you do things, and you notice when people kind of have their own agenda and they want to do things their way, 
But we want to sh- share with them, this is our philosophy of ministry, and this is why. You'll see it in our lobby. Our vision is leading people to know, love, and serve Jesus. That's our filter. That's the mission of our church. And so if it doesn't work in our mission, then we try to get people onto that mission. Our philosophy of ministry is really important. If your pastor has done like a value series or what does your church value? These are the things are we value the word of God. We value the work of the Holy Spirit. We value, and we just go on and on and think we have about eight of these things that we value. So you teach philosophy of ministry. You develop healthy culture, how we're doing things around here. Culture has been said is what you create and what you allow. I think Craig Rochelle said that, what you create and what you allow. So what are you allowing? You don't like something and you're like, I don't like that culture. How can I change it? Or what I create. So I'm going to create culture and I'm going to allow it or disallow it. We've had people come in and go, oh, I really want to do this. And it's like, sometimes we do have to say no. It's like it doesn't really fit in what we're doing as a mission. And then we read and reread our values. Um, We go through leadership books together. Uh, We have women ministry classes. And when I do a training, I open it to everybody. Because I think, like again, like the more people I can train, the better. So I train often, and I, and I just take every opportunity, take multiple opportunities. You see the list there, basic training, specific training, continued training, opportunity training, on the job. Do you have the definitions for all of those? Oh, okay, you don't? It just says, okay, basic training. Uh, general spring training, you know, just like, like the all hands, specific training, specific job specific role. Like for our Bible study leaders, we have a handbook. We go through it every year before we start study. And then some girls have been through it 15 times because they do it, but it, but it reorients people to the center. So we go through that for Bible studies, greeters. So there's that general training and then each department has specific continued training. You're refreshing. You're, you know, you're continuing to go over the same thing over and over. Opportunity training, like I said, at leaders meetings, at debriefs, at um, retreats, at one-on-ones, and then job training, that we're helping people as they're in their job, just continuing to be trained in what they're doing. The more people know, the more confident they are. If they know their job, if they know where they're supposed to be, if they know all of those things. I'll tell you what we did for this conference. We had, so a Friday night, we had a complete run-through. I mean, the slides, people on stage, people off stage, um, we did this because then they know what they're doing and they're confident. And so when they come here, we had, we had an all-hands meeting two weeks ago. Everybody came in. The greeters knew what they were doing. Hospitality knew what they were doing. Everybody knew because I don't want to be fielded with questions when we're trying to concentrate on what the Lord is doing. It's like I want everybody to know exactly what they're doing. It's a lot of work, but, it, but it's good. So number two, behind the wheel phase. You get, them in the pass- you get them out of the passenger seat. You sit in the passenger seat, and then we just role play, and we get them going, and we get them on their way, and um, we get them behind the wheel, and you develop them. And I, like I said, it takes three years. Blackaby um, says this, only when we understand leadership in light of God's calling on our lives will we be equipped to lead effectively. So they have to be knowing. And then the license phase you must let go of the wheel at some point. Now, some of us, how many of you are good at letting go of the wheel and let someone else take it? 
I love letting go of the wheel. I'm just going to be honest. I love delegating. I'm a delegating queen. How many of you, it's hard. It's hard for you. You don't like to let go of the wheel. Like, because it takes a risk, doesn't it? She had two hands up. (laughs) Me. (laughs) Um, It takes a risk. And it's like, what if they aren't going to do it right? What if they're not going to do this? What if they're not going to do that? I tell my ladies, if you're making mistakes and you're failing, you're actually the ones that are doing something. Because they are going to fail. They're going to make miserable mistakes. But I do too. So they're in good company because I make mistakes. And when I'm gracious with their mistakes, then they're gracious with mine. My husband and I, we, we each have our own assistants. And we basically tell them it's like childcare. Like it really is like childcare. They just like take our little cheeks and point us in the direction that we're supposed to go. Because I'm really lame at administration. Like I, I can't administrate my way out of paper sack. Like, here's a mic, go up on stage, then I'm good. Like, once I, that's it. So, I want to give you some hazards, a, a word of warning. Um, there will be well meaning people who decide that they can be self appointed leaders in your church. Anybody got one of those self appointed leadership? It's fantastic to work with, isn't it? We've had this several times, and I would say this the sooner you can squash that, the better off that your church is going to be. I know it's difficult. I know that there are problems, but people come into the church with their own agendas, and when they don't like what the pastor's doing or what your church vision is, they just decide that they can stay and have their own little thing within your church. Okay, here's the problem with that. Who's covering them in leadership? If you look in the Bible, like there rarely is self-appointed leadership with no accountability. Everyone in our church, in our organization, goes up to some pastor, The pastors oversee every single ministry. And so that's a red flag to me when someone wants to do their own thing. We'll hear about it. It'll turn out like this. I'm going to so-and-so's house once a month for a a breakfast. Yeah, you guys know. And it's like, okay, well, how is that leader accountable? I don't know what they're teaching. I don't know what they're doing. Well, that's weird. We're just having it. We're just, she's just doing it on our own. Yeah, with our people. She's handing invites out at the door. Like, you know, we, we have to stop that. And people don't understand this, but what I'll usually tell people is, look, we have leadership for a reason. And as submissive leaders, we're to come under the pastors and elders of our church because they are in charge of running our church. And so if you don't want to be under leadership, then we're not going to ask you not to invite the sheep that my husband and the elders are here to protect. And they're from wolves. You may be great. But if we do that with you, 25 other people are going to want to do that too. And we can't do that. So red flag when someone wants to do their own thing. Um, And then they'll um, start with the church, but then decide to lead groups on their own and split the body. One time we were having this, um, there was a, a lady who was doing like a potluck at her house. And there were a lot of people that started going. And, and I would go to one of my leaders and I would go, that's outside. Like, she doesn't have, like, you know, um, leadership covering. And she kept telling me, like, no, it's okay. She's great. I'm like, I know she's great. I know she's mature. What happened? She left the church. Then these poor ladies, what were they doing? She's pulling people away from the body instead of getting them involved in the body that's there to protect them and provide for them. And so I would, I would say pay attention to that. Um, and then we have people that have bad attitudes, right? Or, um, anybody have anybody in their leadership with a bad attitude? Sometimes it's me. 
I'm like, Brenda, you just shouldn't go tonight. I call my leaders like, you don't want me around tonight. <laughs> I'm spicy. <laughs> uh, but sometimes it's because they're on the wrong leadership. Sometimes there's something going on in their lives, and they just need someone to come alongside and go, how are you doing? Are you, are you okay? So I want to open it up to Q&A because I love Q&A whenever we have time because sometimes you go to a, a thing. Uh, I've done this a million times. You'll go to a workshop and then you're like, oh, they didn't ask that. They didn't deal with that one thing that I wanted them to deal with. So I want to kind of open it up. Use your outside voice and uh, let's, let's have some discussion about stuff in leadership. So don't be shy. I'll just wait here and stay all day here. Yeah. Um, we'll do announcements. Yeah, it'll be church-wide. Because, yeah. Um, I, I've done it for women. We have other trainings that would be open for men, but I, I run women's ministry, and so um, that one would be open to women. And they grow, even if they have no intention of being leaders. At least they know how we do things around here. I've done a lot of different things. One time I did like a two-hour session. Um, I took them through Martha Peace, and then I would go through a practical hour of just this is the way we run MIMS ministry, and I think it was like a six-week course. And then the all-hands one worked really good because that one is like an hour. We do breakfast, and then I'll just, whatever passage God gives me on something on serving, we'll go through. Yeah. Did that answer your question? Yeah, you teach that in to your leadership training that, that um, because a lot of people say, well, I've been here for 10 years and you haven't used me. And, and I'll always, you know, I use these opportunities to teach. I don't ever shy away. I'm, very, I'm pretty blunt and honest. I'll, I'll be kind, but I think there's a time that you need to even disciple then that I don't pick the leaders, God picks the leaders. And so I'm praying and if he doesn't confirm that you're supposed to be in that position, then you might not be invited. So either have you missed what God's telling you to do, have, and then take them through that. Like, have you been faithful in doctrine, faithful in this? I had a gal this year come to me and say, look, I've been doing these um, co-leading in the Bible study for a lot of years, and you know, you've never let me lead. And and we talked for a little bit, and and actually I came to the conclusion as I prayed, like, why haven't I let her lead? And there really was no reason. And so this year, we actually made her a leader. So it can go both ways, too. It can challenge me in prayer, like, oh, I've never really prayed about her. And I did, and God confirmed, like, yeah, maybe she should be in leadership. So, so we're a smaller church, and our women's ministry is probably two years old, and we kind of came together unorthodox as a team. So how do we get started? That's a fantastic question. Um, when we started this church, um, I was losing my mind because my husband had just like threw me in deep water. Shannon, you can relate. And I like to be on the shore. So I just kept trying to swim back to the shore. 
And I had a stomachache, I say, for two years while we were planting this church. And so I used other people's material because I did not have it in me to write a study. People are like, you're going to write a study? It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to make it to breakfast <laughs> like at this point. Um, so I, I used other people's study. I would do just short studies. We did Beth Moore for a while. I know it's controversial now. But she has some good stuff. And, um, but then the Lord, when it was time, he said, you need to wean people from that because there's a lot of spoon feeding in some of those studies. There's not a lot of digging on our own. And there was a time, there was a time the Lord allowed me to use that. And then there was a time where he's like, you need to wean your women from these types of studies. And we started writing our own. But I would say you could start with a prayer meeting. You could start with, you know, once a month gatherings. Are you talking about women's ministry or a Bible study? No, I'm talking more about developing leaders. Developing leaders. Yeah, I'll give you my manual for one. Um, I don't know if it is, but I always just tell people to write, to email my assistant and ask her for it. <laughs> um, she'll gladly hand it to you, but I would get somebody else's training. I would just start with that group and just go, you know what? This year we're going to go through Blackaby Spiritual Leadership. Classic book, great leadership training, um, and then pray and ask God because Getting people on your team is a lot easier than getting them off. Be very slow, especially your core team. I have a core team of about eight or 10, and I'm very careful about who I bring on that team um, because we have to be like-minded. They have to be submissive, um, and they have to be pretty high producers, to be honest, to run the ministries that we're running. I don't actually run any ministry. I just run that group. So I would say take, start taking them through, if you're just starting, start taking them through some training. Get some other people's manual. See what you like. Take out what you doesn't fit your vision. Um, and then just spend time and ask God for a vision. Like, what does he want you as the leader? What direction are you supposed to go? What, what kind of things do you want to do in your women's ministry? Our staple is Bible study. We, we, we incorporate outreach into almost everything that we do. Um, and then we do some outreach ministries like Moms Inspired. It's like Mops, but, you know, there's some outreach ministry. There's some growth ministry. Um, and we don't do the same thing. Listen, ladies, you don't have to do the same six events every year. Change that thing up. <laughs> it's old, stale. And God wants to do a fresh work. We go away as a leadership once a year. Um, we go on a retreat for about three days. We don't go outside, <laughs> which I enjoy. Um, <laughs> Kelly would be running in the dark if she came, but, um, but we just sit and we ask God, what do you want to kill? What did we do well last year? Where do we see your hand working? Sometimes we've developed ministries where we go, we want to do this ministry, but there's no leader. And we just sit on it. We pray and pray and pray. Sometimes it's like, we'll, we'll have a sense of what God's doing and it'll be two years. And then someone will come and say, hey, I was thinking about leading this ministry. And we're like, there it is, his timing. It's, it's important to get his timing, but it's important to say, so in five years, this is a good practice. In five years, what do you want that women's ministry to look like? And then kind of reverse engineer to kind of get to that point of what you want it to look like. But obviously starting in prayer, starting to train wherever you can. Yeah. And get mentored by people who've done it before. You know, I used to 
see pastor's wives and go, can we have coffee sometime? I just want to pick your brain about what you do. And don't just, just have it be one. Do five. You might go, I like that. I like that. I like that. And, I, and then put it together. Just, it's just practical in that way. And I gave you some resources there for, um, for you know, further study. Other questions? Yeah. Yeah, the Sunday dwellers. Yeah. 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 I mean, again, praying about, you can't, I mean, you can't go get them from their house and bring them to the church in handcuffs. Um, but maybe asking, like, I, there's a slippery slope here. Asking people what they want because they'll be consumers and we don't, we want contributors. Teaching that in your leadership, we're, that's part of our values. We're, we're contributors, we're not consumers at Reliance Church. So if you notice, we have a healthy servant base here because they've been trained in that. So um, I would say too, encouraging your leaders to personally invite somebody. One way you can do that is not inviting them to the study, inviting them to help somebody serve. When you give a personal invite, I've rarely had someone where I'm like, can you come alongside me and help me um, make the coffee this morning? They're like, me? Sometimes they're just embarrassed or they don't know how to get involved, so they don't. But if someone gives them a personal, like, heartfelt invite, like, I, hey, I do this at church, and I'd really like you to come alongside and help me. Um, serving is, the, is, to me, is the best way to capture people, usually. Um, we can invite and invite and invite, and, and we don't want the consumer mindset. So I don't want to just make a fun event that everybody wants to come to. Um, because we want to feed them meat, and we want to teach them to serve. And serving is just as much of a part of the body of Christ as anything. You know, teaching people to serve. You know, the servants of Jesus, like, that's the people who saw the miracles. Those are the people who saw Jesus work. You guys have discovered that. You serve, and you watch Jesus work. So when they get in, and they see God working, they're just like, they can't get enough of that. And so, I, and so I would, I would probably, if anyone has any more advice, but I would probably give, uh, give my leaders a challenge to start inviting people and into service. Um, I don't know if anyone else has anything that has worked for them, but that's what's worked for us. So does that answer your question? Anyone else? As much as we can in the time frame, because sometimes we get chatty on day two and then don't get to day five. But we try. 
One of the things is because we're bringing in new leaders, we want to make sure that they actually understand what they're going to be teaching. We want to make sure that they got, because you'll see some of the newer, and me too, like someone say something, I'm like, oh, that is good, writing that down. Or they'll make a quote, and I'm like, I'll take that. So it just gives people, so we, we do that in the morning. Our, the whole, um, we have uh, group leaders and we have group administrators because us leaders, we don't like to send emails. <laughs> so, and then they co-lead. They co so like if the leader's out, then they can teach the class. But that gives everybody a chance to talk through it. And so if there's anything scriptural that they're not sure on, we can kind of cover it in that meeting. So we'll ask them like, do you have any insights or things that you don't understand so that they can get it right. It's been really fruitful, really fruitful. How, how much earlier do they come then since people are so busy? Yeah, so um, our girls, are they're, they're committed to that Bible study. So we start Bible study at 9.30. They come at 8.30. We do 45 minutes. We get to it. We spend 45 minutes and they come in to fellowship with the girls. So they're coming an hour, hour early. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's their favorite part of the Bible study, to be honest, is to be in the leaders' meeting and to go over it. It's a pain because I'm like, oh, God, can I just come at 9.30? But then when I get there, I'm just like, oh, so glad. And there's discipleship that's involved in that too. It's really, really good. It's been very fruitful. Question? Say that louder. Yeah, well, we have morning and night, so we do groups. We do leadership meetings before and after. I think they come an hour early as well at night, or is it less? Hour earlier at night, too. So we do it with our morning and evening studies. It's a growth time. Anyone else? Can you kind of explain a little bit more what your all, you call it all hands? All hands. Yeah, so all hands, um, so for this conference, it was everyone who was serving. We did worship, someone gave a, a devotional, and then we just ran through the entire conference. Um, all hands for women's ministry, I usually do in August, and I usually just go to a passage once. I taught on John 13 with, you know, Jesus washing the feet. This year, I think I taught on uh, John 6, where uh, Jesus was feeding the 5,000, and and how he knew exactly what was going to happen, but he just wanted to know, hey, what are the leader's going to say? He's like, what are you going to do about it? You know. And so we just talked about that, and we went through the passage, and we kind of saw it at a different, different angle. It was like, you know, after they had all the scraps, and like um, people were, were circling through to pick up all the leftovers, I go, look, they have a teardown team. Like, they, they do. So it's like a, it was a very practical look at the passage, saying this is what it takes for us to do ministry, and so we just kind of talked through it. We, we had some question and answered, but it was just, it's just amazing to see people get on the same page. Like, that is so helpful in ministry. So all hands is just everybody involved. Um, so that, the one I do in August is for everybody in, in, uh, in our ministry. So there might be 160 ladies here that, that are all serving, and so I get them all at once. So the, the bigger the training you can do, the more, the, the, bigger the spread, I think, and they understand what they're doing. So I'm going to take one more question, then we're going to go eat. So do you think that there was something specific that you did to create a culture where it was, I want to be a part of this culture and do what you're 
to be an hour early at the Bible study versus some of us sometimes we feel like I'm dragging people to try and get them in the yeah. culture. Do you think there was something specific that you did to promote that type yeah. of culture? If you're dragging people there, you might have the wrong leaders. Like, no, seriously. Now I know you're like easy to say when you've got a lot of people to choose from. In the early years, I was grabbing people's ankles. Like, you want to stay, don't you? Like, can you please help? So I realize there's smaller cultures, but I think in the training, yes, you can get them excited. And so you want when, okay, we can either lead by inspiration or desperation. We want to lead by inspiration. So as I teach them God's word and I'm inspiring them with the stories of Jesus who served and loved people, it, you, it's contagious. You, you're like, I want to be there because I see the fruit. Uh, but they're going to know whether we're leading by inspiration or desperation. And so we want to inspire people to lead. And so we're constantly trying to inspire people instead of dragging them there. Because who wants to be dragged anywhere? You know what I mean? But if you've got a group, it's hard because I, I admit there's sometimes in small ministry where it's like if you're in a different culture where it's really difficult to change the culture. So it's changing the culture. And the way that, so my husband had to change the culture of this church early on. He's like, I don't like the culture. So he handpicked some guys, and you can do this in women's ministry. You handpick some leaders that they know what to expect and you change the culture with them first. And you tell them, we're gonna change this culture and so we're not gonna be dragged in here, we're gonna be inspired to be here and this group right here, you're gonna inspire other people to be here and then that starts becoming the culture. Don't think that you're stuck with your culture. You're not, you can change the culture and make it a biblically based culture. So let's pray, because are you having T or S? T, S, I'm an S girl too. Salad, gonna love it. Father, thank you for this group of leaders. Thank you, Lord, that they're just so uh, interested in what your Bible has to say about leadership. And Lord, I just pray you'd pour out your spirit on every single leader that, Lord, you would continually teach us how you led, how you serve, and then help us to propagate that to others. Lord, let us be those leaders that have... Um, vision and inspiration, that we're inspired by your word and the people that we read about in your scripture, Lord. May we lead like Paul. May we lead like um, uh, Jesus the entire way that we have this ministry. And so I pray over these ladies that you would anoint them, that you would pour your spirit out upon them, that you would give them vision, that you give them direction, Lord, and that you would give them everything that they need to be able to lead well. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, ladies. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for joining us today. We hope you find this content helpful. Hey, stay connected with us on Instagram and Facebook for all that is going on with When She Leaves. We'll see you next time.